Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your home. We're in our series called Made for Mondays, Work and the Glory of God. And this week, I want to talk about work and justice. You know, I have been thinking lately that uh, the trust in institutions is at an all-time low in Canadian culture. Think trust in government, for example. Uh, I don't know of a time that I can think of in the past where we have been so suspicious of our government, of our leaders, both uh, uh, municipally and provincially and federally. I think also that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of distrust even in the legal system. I can remember in uh, 1995 with the O.J. Simpson trial, at the end of the trial, we're going, wow, that's not justice. It seems as if uh, justice is dependent on how much money people have to hire defense lawyers. And I think trust in corporations is at an all-time low. I, I, I think there's hardly a, hardly a month that goes by that we haven't heard of some insider, trade, insider trading scandal or some kind of corporate malfeasance of, of, of some type. And then, of course, we've just gone through this whole uh, time of distrust in the police and the whole Black Lives Matter movement and all of that coming out of it. And of just this last week or so, uh, trust in sports leagues. When we hear what uh, has gone on in about a decade ago with the Chicago Blackhawks and, and all the rest, I, I, I just seen, just seems to me that, that trust is at an all-time low, uh, even trust in the church. And I think there's a number of reasons for that in our culture. And I, when I think about this, I think of... Um, the public scandals that have kind of rocked the institutions uh, of our day. And, and you think of the moral failings of, of people in high uh, positions of authority. I think, too, that one of the reasons for our distrust is uh, the whole access to information today. And, 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 and uh, people with cell phones take pictures and record conversations, and we hear all about it. Uh, maybe uh, corporations or institutions weren't all that trustworthy in the past, but we never really heard about it in the past. I remember um, to the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and uh, up until we kind of heard a little bit more about his lifestyle, we thought that he was very reputable and moral in his dealings with people, but afterwards we begin to hear stories about uh, his infidelity and, uh, and dealings with uh, other people, and we go, we're, we're shocked. We're shocked at that kind of um, uh, mal practice, so to speak, by governments or immorality of government officials. I think a, a third factor that's really um, hurt our trust in institutions is the speed of change. I think whenever we change, we, we, we harm, well, we perceived, we're perceived to harm people. People grieve the changes that we make. And because culture and, and institutions are changing so rapidly, adapting to the to the changing times, we leave in our wake a whole group of people who have been disgruntled and uh, because of the change. And the more changes we make, the more disgruntled people and the, the greater the distrust in the organization. I think another factor that uh, economists talk about is the pressure to be highly profitable today, especially with companies that are publicly traded. It used to be that a mom-and-pop shop, a, a, a company that was owned by a family or a few individuals, were happy just to make a good living. Now, unless corporations or companies that are publicly traded are making a, a lot of money, their stock decreases. And so there's tremendous pressure to be highly profitable 
in the marketplace. And so sometimes that results in cutting corners and then, of course, distrust by the folks who are being uh, uh, harmed by the corners that are being cut. I think that, of course, we also recognize uh, as followers of Jesus the, the movement away from the Judeo-Christian ethic that kind of uh, undergirded uh, much of our institutional and family life in the past. Uh, just simply said, uh, people don't even understand the Ten Commandments anymore. They don't, they don't really believe that there is a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained, or that there are eternal consequences for their sin. And it leaves people thinking that uh, they're just individuals and it's up to their own choices and there are no eternal consequences for uh, bad behavior. And when you, when you put that all together, you, you come to understand or we come to realize that, that uh, my generation, I can think back at a time when I trusted institutions, I trusted government officials, I trusted the police force almost, almost completely. And whenever they did something that, that was outside the bounds, I was shocked uh, by what went on. Imagine the generation that's being raised today who's never learned to trust institutions, who's never, who've never been around when the trust for institutions was high. They're not shocked when they hear of scandals. They're not shocked when they, when they see corporations or individuals doing things that are outside the bounds of, of what would be considered to be appropriate or just. They just think that that's uh, regular, that that's normal. Imagine that we're raising a generation of people with that kind of environment. And uh, what will that do for our folks in the future? Well, what can we do about it as followers of Jesus? There's a fascinating passage in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verses 3 and verses 6 to 9, that I want to read and then talk about. This is the text, and uh, this starts with the people praying or talking to God, and then God's response. The people say, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Now here's the Lord's response. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, um, written so long ago by the prophet Isaiah. We thank you that it still speaks today. I pray, Lord, that we would be concerned about justice in the workplace, in our environments. And I pray that we would do our part to care for those who are disadvantaged and those who have been treated unjustly. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, open our lives, open our hands to help those in need. For we know, Lord, that uh, these people who matter to you should matter to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So the passage that I read is written to the exiles who were returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the city about 539 BC. So if you remember the Old Testament history, 
the children of Israel had been captured by the Babylonians, and many had been taken to Babylon as uh, captives, as slaves, basically, to be in Babylon. Then the Babylonians were taken over by the Assyrians. And then after 70 to 100 years, they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem, which had been completely destroyed in the wars that had gone on. And a group came back to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So this is written to that group of people who were back in their home country. Uh, They had been exiled in Babylon. They had been involved in in a pagan culture for many years. They were coming back to the Holy Land, coming back to restore their their, uh, um, all of their, their temple and reinstate all of their religious practices. And here in our text, they're complaining to God that he was not responding to their fasting. Uh, it, it wasn't peace and tranquility when they came back to Jerusalem. There were a lot of enemies inside the city. There were enemies outside the city. There were people with, with uh, a, a great desire not to see the city be rebuilt, not to see the walls being rebuilt. So in verse 3, the people are saying, why have we fasted and have, we've not seen it? Why have you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And notice, notice here the Lord's answer in verse 4 onwards. He says, basically, you call that fasting? It is not the kind of fasting that I have chosen. You do as you please. You exploit all your workers. You see here what the Lord is saying is that uh, when they were fasting, when they were abstaining from certain foods, and when they were praying and worshiping, they had forgotten something. They had forgotten to be concerned about uh, the workers, the, the people that were working both to rebuild the city and the outsiders who were perhaps disadvantaged and poor uh, that they knew about. And he said, the kind of fast that he's looking for is a fast that would actually result in some kind of activity that would help the disenfranchised, the poor. So he says, this is the kind of fasting I have chosen. Loose the chains of injustice. Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Clothe the naked. So the exiles, they're shocked that God was not responding to their prayers. After all, they were living in the holy city. This was the most sacred piece of real estate in the universe, and they were living there. And they were doing a good thing. They were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding the walls. They were, in their minds, they're doing their part. They're working for God. And they were fasting, and they were praying. They had, they had come from a place uh, back in Assyria, in Babylon, where they hadn't had the opportunity to do these kinds of things. They were, they're renewing their religious responsibilities, and, and they're saying, yeah, we're, we're really on the right track now. We we're really must be in God's good books. Uh, they were f- fulfilling their religious responsibilities. And this was at some cost to, to leave uh, Assyria and come to make the trek over there and to be surrounded by bandits and, and uh, the chaos that was part of the country at that time. They were doing at, this at some danger and some cost. But they were missing something. Could it be that the people of God can get it mostly right and miss the whole point? I, I think so. Not just the Old Testament people of God, but the New Testament people of God. And people who say, well, I go to church. I tithe. I, uh, I read my Bible. I pray. I worship. I do all these things. But could it be that in spite of doing all those things, we've missed something critical 
that's at the heart of God. You see, we cannot be right with God without fair relationships with each other and our neighbors. That's what this text is saying. Our spirituality cannot be disconnected from our everyday life. God is concerned with justice and care for the disadvantaged. This passage reminds us very much of the passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 23, where the Lord says, There will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, but who will not be in the kingdom of heaven. But they'll say, oh, Lord, we did this for you. We did that for you. We did this. And he says, no, no, no. Only those who do the will of my Father. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is an Old Testament parallel to that New Testament Matthew passage. You see, God expects us to partner with him in reaching out to those who are disadvantaged. Now, Fortunately for those of us who live in the New Testament era, who live in the New Covenant area, we have the Holy Spirit who makes us aware of these things. You see, back in the, uh, the days of Isaiah and the days of the exiles, they didn't have the personal indwelling of the Spirit, and the prophet has to speak to them and remind them about this. Fortunately, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who convicts us, who leads us to righteousness, who reminds us of the ways of Jesus and what it means to do things that are pleasing to the Lord. Notice how the text goes on, and the Lord promises several benefits in verse 8 to 9 to those who will be concerned about the disenfranchised. He says, your light will break forth. Isn't that interesting? That sounds very much like a New Testament theme. Remember, Jesus said that we are to be the salt and the light of the world, and that our light was to shine forth into the darkness. Well, when we do this, we will be the light of the world. He says, your healing will quickly appear. Now, this word healing in biblical languages, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, also is tied to salvation. So when it's talking about healing here, it's, it's probably not talking about physical healing. It's probably referring to spiritual healing. In other words, uh, when we do this, when we act justly, we will uh, help people spiritually be um, repaired so that they will come to know God, and that we will come to know God better. He goes on to say, your righteousness will go before you. Uh, your right relationship, your, your reputation as being followers of Jesus, of followers of God, or believers in God will go before you. He said also, the Lord will be your rear guard. Fascinating. Rear guard. Well, uh, in a military uh, culture, it, often uh, the greatest danger was for an enemy to attack from behind. And uh, the promise is that if we're involved in doing the things that God asks us to do, he will take care of the things that we cannot see. And, and, I, and I think of this often in our own lives, and just practically speaking, when we're busy doing what God has asked us to do, doing the things that we can see to do. God looks after those things that we cannot see, those things that, that are in our blind spot. And here's the promise. If, if you're involved in doing what God has called you to do, God will look after you. He will look after those things that you can't see, that you're unaware of, that might surprise you. This is the promise in the Old Testament. This is the promise to us today, that God cares for us. He looks after us. And when we're involved in the things that he's called us to be involved with, he looks after everything else. He says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. 
You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Isn't that a wonderful thought, that the Lord is ever-present for us, that he is right beside us, as close as possible. When we're involved with what he wants us to be involved with, he is ever-present in our lives. Well, he's, his presence then is with those who care for those he cares for. The New Testament equivalent, perhaps, is in James chapter 2.17, where James says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, our lively relationship with God is not just a vertical thing. It's not just about us and Him. It's horizontal. It's about us and others. And, and I think so, so many times we have just focused on the vertical aspect of our righteousness, that we are right with God personally, individually. But what Scripture continues to remind us about is that it's not just about this vertical relationship. It's about a horizontal relationship as well. It's about a relationship with those he's called us to love, as when he's told us to love our neighbor. So followers of Jesus are concerned about justice in the workplace, because it's injustice that causes the breaches and the distrust when you think in your own life of the people that you have failed to... uh, uh, well, you, you've had a breach with, and, and there's a problem in your, your relationship and your trust. It's usually because of some perceived injustice that has happened. Well, we are to restore relationships. We know our relationship with God is linked to our treatment with, uh, of others. Injustice damages relationships. That's the thought in this text. Injustice has damaged the children of Israel's relationship with God and certain of their relationship with the broader community. Care and attention to the disadvantaged brings relational transformation, healing, salvation. So what can we do as followers of Jesus? Will followers of Jesus disadvantage themselves to the advantage of others? Let me say that again. I think that's so critical in our culture and today what we're going through. Followers of Jesus disadvantage themselves for the advantage of others. Let's be the first to speak up for and care for the disadvantaged in the workplace. Perhaps you know of someone in your workplace who, who maybe is the brunt of jokes or perhaps is um, uh, not doing as well as they could or perhaps is shy or perhaps they... They, they just aren't getting along well. Could you be the first to reach out to them and love them and care for them? Perhaps you can be involved in your neighborhood and, and seeing people who might be disadvantaged and, and helping them. Of course, at, at the church here, we have lots of different projects for you to be involved with to help us care for the disadvantaged. Because remember that when we care for those that Jesus cares about, he is close to us. He looks after us. He hears our prayers. Remember, a relationship with Jesus requires us to care about what he cares about. Let's pray. So, Father, first of all, forgive us, for sometimes we get caught up simply in our vertical relationship with you. You know, we go to church. We, we, we do those things which help to uh, keep us in tune with you personally, individually. 
But Lord, we forget the importance of our horizontal relationships and our, our, our concern for those who are suffering injustices isn't what you would want it to be. So Lord, help us to see, first of all, by the work of your Spirit in our lives, help us to see those who you care about, those who you would want us to reach out to us, and then help us to be actively involved in their life. Help us at school to see the kids who perhaps are being bullied or picked on or perhaps are disadvantaged in some way. Help us to reach out to them. Help us to be kind and caring and to be helpful. Help us at work. The same thing, Lord. Help us to see those people and and treat them fairly. Help us, if we're employers, to make sure that our employees are are paid in a, a just and fair way and that our expectations are just and fair. Lord, I pray that, that we would be the ones as your followers that would, that would be responsible for bringing relationships back together and solving the uh, injustices that have been going on in, in the marketplace. Help us to repair relationships, we pray. Help us to be known uh, because of our righteousness in this way. Lord, we know that would be pleasing to you. We can only do this through the help and through the guidance, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Here's a question for you to contemplate over the next minute or so. Who do you know at work or school or in your neighborhood who needs a friend? Can you be that friend? We'll give you a minute or so to think about that, perhaps pray about that, and I'll come back with a concluding comment. If you were to read further in our text today, in Isaiah chapter 58, you would come across verses 11 and 12, which sounds very much like a doxology, very much like a promise. It goes this way. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I think it's metaphorical. Perhaps it can relate to us today. If we will take the time and consider how we might help those who are less fortunate than us, if we will pause and reflect and respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, then we will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Well, I think that's a wonderful thing to be called. I I, I wish the church had that kind of reputation in our community. Oh, yes, that church down the street. uh, They're the ones who step in and help people in need. I know individuals in that church who are doing all kinds of things to help their neighbors. They're good people. They're friendly. They restore relationships. Let's be that. Our doxology from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.